Welcome to the WXYNZ Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Whitley Rainwater, and with me are your co-hosts, Zan Mangum and Zane Smith. What is up? Kicking off the podcast. Got Zane Smith with me here. What is going on, Zane? Not much, man. Just another day in paradise. Yes, sir. We've got some big uh, preseason takeaways ready for this episode. So we'll cover some news around the NFL. We're going to cover several questions about snake versus auction draft. Does does um, draft position matter? Uh, we have a lot of questions that we're going to answer from our league mates. And we would just want everyone to know as well that we're recording these podcast episodes and basically just going off and uncut uncensored um not much edits because we don't really have the production capability number one and two we just want this to be free-flowing live takes so we're gonna kick it off as we usually do um with the biggest preseason takeaways i wanted to ask you zane and i'll give you my thoughts first um i think it's really easy to overreact to the preseason and try to extrapolate what might happen in fantasy football Coaches aren't really showing their cards. Um, they're trying to figure out who's going to make the the roster and the guys at the end of the bench are fighting it out. So I try not to overreact too much. I think there are a couple things I do look for, and that's just how the rookies look out there. I think you mentioned that on an earlier podcast, but if someone looks like they're ready to play in the NFL, that they have that pop and that juice, then I'm a little more confident to, to take – um, them in the fantasy drafts and then the other thing is I think NS, NFL coaches they show us a little bit on how they do intend to run their offenses like we might see glimpses we're looking through a keyhole but how they intend to run their offense doesn't always pan out to mid-season form after injuries and after things they plan to do turn out to be ineffective so it always changes but I try to get a gauge for what is this offense really trying to do. Now, here are the fantasy pieces in this offense, and what can I envision them doing throughout the year? So, therefore, who should I go target? And that's my that's my answer on the, the preseason takeaways, which is kind of a long one. But what are your thoughts on that, Zane? Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's really hard to judge the preseason because, you know, from our previous episode, just recapping the Michael Pittman situation – um, you know, things like that happen in preseason where a guy gets overhyped. And like a perfect example of that this year is Darren Waller. You know, he comes out in the preseason game and he gets just four targets in a row, like right off the bat. So yeah. that that's going to push him up the board. And just like I was talking about uh, a few episodes ago, you know, the tight end dead zone is so tempting and stuff like that. That's all it takes to drive you into that temptation. Um, so you know, could that be what's going to happen the rest of the season? I don't know. I, I remember not that long ago when I watched Darren Waller get 19 targets in the first game of the season. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you did the math on that. It's like, oh, my God, this guy's on pace for 350 targets. And then he pretty much got 19 targets the entire rest of the season. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, man, I mean, you don't want to buy into stuff like that and just go straight into the, the deep end. You got to be careful. Um, but yeah, I, I feel the same way, man. I always approach it with caution, but kind of use it to look at who's getting to, you know, first team reps, 
that's something that I think usually is, is promising and is an indicator of what's to come. And it's who looks good, who has that explosiveness, uh, who looks like they're ready and excited and hungry for an upcoming football season. Yeah, I like it. I watched uh, Jerry Judy catch a touchdown this year in the preseason. I was like, all right, that's it. I'm drafting him in the third round. Because uh, <laughs> you know I'm a Judy lover, have been for years, and that's never yeah. worked out for me. And guy can't stay healthy, clearly. That kind of brings us to the news around the NFL today. Um, man, to my dismay, I checked my phone, and there we go. Judy, hamstring injury, being carted off from practice. And it's just right back into the same old, same old, man. And um, <laughs> they said he's out multiple weeks. Uh, week one's in question. So my third round Judy dreams are probably probably squished at this point. I uh, yep. I can't take receivers that have hamstring injuries to start the year. We've seen that over and over. Um, Keenan Allen last year. I, we can go on and on. Um, but Cooper Cup, speaking of hamstring injuries, is back at practice. <laughs> Um, uh, Terry McLaurin's day-to-day with turf toe. Um, he is expected to be ready week one. Jackson Smith and Jigba broke his wrist. Um, he's been a rookie, big-time standout. He looked really, really good in the preseason, I will say. Um, he may be ready for week one. And some other big news, as we all know, the Jonathan Taylor drama, the uh, Miami Dolphins have made a trade offer for Taylor. We don't know what it is. It might be a bag of chips and a fifth round pick for all we know, but the Dolphins have kind of said Tuesday's their deadline to make a decision on if they will trade him, it'll be by Tuesday. And uh, what do you think about the Jonathan Taylor hoopla? Yeah, man, you know, me and you've been kind of talking about it and we talked about the risk and, with Jonathan Taylor, it's like even you at the end of the second round aren't even really, you know, attracted to him at that point in time. Uh, but I'm at, I've been an advocate for him, and yeah. the way yeah. that you know I, I I like these unknown circumstances because the NFL doesn't really crack down too hard on people historically, and so it usually works out in your benefit. So whenever you have all these lingering questions, you know, guys want to play football, and if it's that bad, I'm sure they'll trade him and get some value. I mean, even a second round pick you saw with Jimmy Garoppolo and, and Trey Lance, they, they wait and they miss that window to get that second round pick. And then they end up getting nothing at all. So I think they are going to take some recency, you know, outlooks <laughs> and understand they need to get something, you know, for him if he doesn't want to play. And so even if he does go for a bag of chips, you know, if even they get a second or third round pick, that's still going to be pretty pretty helpful if they're going to lose him anyway and get nothing. And yeah, um, I love the risky picks like with Joe Mixon and and Kamara. They were kind of have some questions with some criminal mm-hmm. stuff, and you know they were if you were drafting early this summer, you got them at a great value because people were scared, but both those worked out, and and now you have a great value. Um, Jonathan Taylor, man, if if he ends up going to the Dolphins, <laughs> you know, congratulations to everybody who got him in like the third round in these early drafts because that would be awesome to see him in an offense like that with, you know, what, I mean, he would immediately be superior to Jeff Wilson and Ricky oh, yeah. Mostert and all these, you know, washed up old farts that are on the team. So, you know, I can see that working out pretty well and his stock going back up um, pretty significantly if, if that trade does happen. And then, yeah, just some other preseason takeaways kind of talk about, you know, running backs, as I mentioned earlier, I like to see, you know, who's getting the reps. Um, Damian Pierce, 
got pretty much all the first team reps for the Texans. So as of right now, you know, Singletary doesn't really appear to be a factor. Um, you know, Jay Will in P Ryan right now, it seems like a pretty split load. Um, yep. And him coming off that injury, you know, he's been sitting there and he's a very attractive option for a late round pick, but I'm kind of coming to the reality that, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle for him to have a good season. And his ADP is kind of appropriate, you know, the more, you know, and uh, another couple, you know, preseason takeaways, this is kind of a minute point because there's not going to be that many Browns receivers getting drafted high, you know, Donovan Peoples Jones probably won't even be picked up. Um, but for like Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore, <laughs> I'm I'm loving what I'm seeing from DTR, man, as as the backup. Yeah. And you love to see it because one thing that can be a killer for your fantasy team is when the starting quarterback goes down and the backup is just mm-hmm. a pickle back there. <laughs> yes, it's competency. Yeah, you saw you saw the uh, you, you experienced it firsthand with the Cowboys when that got yes. hurt and they and they went to Andy Dalton. I mean, man, you did not want to own a single Cowboys player no. <laughs> on that team the rest of the year. So you know that I, I love you know one thing I look into just going to the advanced level of just thinking about every possible outcome. You know, if you if you have a receiver that has a good quarterback, look at the backup. You know, is he competent? If Muck started the starting quarterback goes down, is this nothing more than a bench player? And uh, yeah, I think that gives Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore some value because if something happens to Deshaun Watson, you know, if he goes, you know, if he blacks out and goes Bill Cosby mode again and gets thrown <laughs> into the slammer, you know, they, yeah. <laughs> they might they might still have some value. Yeah, you're right. That's kind of a nice insurance plan with those guys. Um, another big kind of uh, news note around the, the NFL is Trey Lance. I mean, he's in the headlines right now because Sam Darnold has been named the number two um, behind Brock Purdy in San Francisco. So there's all kinds of speculation, you know, and people already coming out and basically saying that San Francisco knows they can't get anything more than a day three pick from Trey Lance. And we all know he was traded. Um, and they got that pick from the Miami Dolphins who, if you add up what they got back to move up to number three to select Lance, I mean, it was a haul for the Dolphins and, you know, it's been a landslide as far as them just making out like bandits in this trade, um, for Trey Lance. So I don't know. I don't think the Dolphins, if they would have stayed at three, would have taken Trey Lance. They probably would have taken a, a nice player, but you know, they got Waddle with that draft pick in return traded another draft pick and got Tyree kill and they traded another one and got Bradley Chubb. So <laughs> you take those three players who are all elite and then you have Trey Lance who can't even make the backup on his team. So man, that's a, uh, that trade looks worse and worse. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's pushing up there with one of the worst trades in history, right? I mean, one of yep. the absolute worst trades in history and you look at what the Dolphins got out of that and what they turned those picks into, and it, it makes the 49ers look even worse. Even though it doesn't affect them at all, it's the funny part. It just makes it that much worse that these guys got three pro bowlers on their team. Yes. And they got literally a bag of coal uh, for it. Yeah. <laughs> an, an actual bag of coal. And Trey Lance, 
the thing I, the thing that puzzles me the most, right? Like, let's take the Panthers this year. Like, we gave up not even not even as much for, yep. in my opinion, a way better prospect. You know, the, everybody has said if Bryce Young had three more inches, he might be the best prospect since Peyton Manning in the draft. And Trey Lance was just some dude, you know, from a small college playing, you know, not good players on, yep. on defense. And I typically don't like guys like that. And, you know, you, you've heard me air nothing but cautions about Trey Lance. And I ended up being, you know, right about it. But the most puzzling piece about it with the Bryce Young situation, we knew we wanted him. Right. Like that was kind of like the guy yeah. we were very confident in the number one pick with the 49ers. They were undecided for a long time about Trey Lance or Matt Jones. And everybody knew that beyond the three pick, even starting at the three pick mm-hmm. uh, before, before they traded with the Dolphins, there wasn't a need at quarterback. And so there, <laughs> dude, there was a real possibility if they didn't trade that Trey Lance and Matt Jones fall to them at the position they were in. Uh, we yep. saw Matt Jones go at 15 that there just wasn't a need for quarterback in between. And since they were kind of undecided, they probably could have gone either way. They could have got their guy for free. So the fact that they did that was a terrible decision. Uh, and man, man the, the way it worked out makes it a strong contender for the worst trades of all time in the draft. Yep. I agree. And so what do you think about Bryce Young? And I know you're a huge Carolina fan. A lot of our league mates and listeners are, are big into the Panthers. Um, how are you feeling about about you guys getting your guy? Yeah, man, I'm excited. You know, hopefully it doesn't end up being a Trey Lance situation. Um, you know, historically, you look at, you know, they traded up for RG3, they traded up for Trey Lance, and then, of course, the infamous trade up for Mitchell Trubinsky, and you could have got Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, you know, exactly yep. where you, where you yep. were. Um, so there are some strong contenders for terrible moves for, for quarterback. Obviously, Ryan Leaf from back in the day. Um, so hopefully we don't end up in that category. I would hate to be sitting here, you know, next year or in a couple of years, you know, to have the same conversation about Bryce Young. But I'm excited, man. I, I think he's a good player. Look, Looking at him, you know, been raving about him in camp, you know, the entire preseason. And seeing him in the preseason, he looks pretty good. His balls look good. He, <laughs> no, oh yeah, no, gotta have good no, balls. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but man, they're they're nice tight spirals, man. And you know that's what it takes when you look at an NFL quarterback and you see that quick throwing motion, but the ball coming out with a lot of velocity is promising. And then you hear everybody raving about his mental competence, and that's the two things, man. If you got a quick throwing motion with some velocity and you got intelligence and commit the yep. right reads, you're going to be a, that's what it, that's the formula. That's what every single good NFL quarterback has in common. Um, so I think he's got both. I think he's got potential. Uh, my only concern is the offensive line looks abysmal. I'm that's surprised. That's what I was about I, to say. <laughs> I thought we had a pretty good one. And as tiny as he is, man, if, if he gets hit all year, there's no possible good outcome. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like, Joe Burrow on the Bengals when their offensive line was shaky. And I mean, he was making good plays when he, those plays he had opportunity and time to do so, but he was just getting beat up and then, you know, inevitably got hurt. And I hope, I hope we don't see something like that with Bryce Young, but yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm glad the Panthers traded up and got him. I mean, they kind of got out of quarterback purgatory of just always cycling through so, so guys and, um, you're always going to be highly scrutinized anytime you make a splash and trade up. And, um, you know, teams whiff on their draft picks all the time when they keep their own draft picks and just make a bad pick. 
and don't get scrutinized as much. So <clears throat> anytime you trade up, you're pretty much going to be put in the crosshairs um, of media guys and NFL watchers. And they're going to just, like I said, try to tear you apart. But I, I like I like the move. It's bold. And I think it's um, a needle mover for the Panthers organization. Yeah, for sure. And, and one like, thing that I always say that people find kind of strange is don't focus on the picks that – you know, we gave away for this quarterback. Think about all the picks that we saved. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like you look at teams like the Browns and it's just in the Raiders and they've just wasted pick after pick, especially the Browns. I mean, how many high draft picks have they spent on quarterbacks uh, between Johnny Menzel and Baker Mayfield and Brandon Whedon and the list goes on and on. There's a lot more that I'm missing, but in the past decade, they've probably spent at least four or five first-round picks on, on a quarterback that they don't currently have on their team and did not for very long. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the danger. I mean, statistically speaking, the, the hit rate on that is pretty low and undrafted a great quarterback. So, hypothetically, if you look at the, the probability, if you trade for an elite quarterback, it usually works out pretty well. Um, obviously, last year with Deshaun Watson – and Russell Wilson doesn't feel like that, but historically it, it does. So, you know, I'm not mad at it. You know, we could have gone, like you said, just kept cycling through pur- purgatory, you know, trying to find the right guy that we may never get. It, with our luck, we would win just enough games next year to miss out on Drake May uh, or uh, the from USC, Caleb Williams. So exactly. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with it, man. I like it. I like the move. Yep, and so let's move on to the uh, the defense position. We've covered an episode dedicated to quarterback and tight end. We did a running back episode and a wide receiver episode earlier. We're not going to spend long on defense position because who cares, honestly. Um, and it's kind of just, you know, you, you throw something out there and hope for the best. There are a couple of defenses that have went on crazy runs that have mattered in fantasy. The New England yeah. uh, Patriots one year, the Patriots, you know, were – just going putting up huge numbers and winning people weeks um it's kind of rare but i would say my only thing on defense um there's probably three or four every year that are drafted right off the bat just because their personnel um, is stacked and everyone just expects them to be a good defense i like to look at their early schedule like take the first three or four games, maybe even one or two games, maybe five or six games, whatever sample you kind of want to look at. But if their early schedule looks favorable, looks like they're going up some against some, you know, okay or bad offenses, then I'd just like to draft that defense. Um, And and it's not like I'm going to take them with anything other than my last pick, but that's pretty much all I do as far as defense. Anything extra you do with defense? Yeah, for sure. Um, so in in my league, this doesn't, you know, play and fighter every league, but I'm pretty sure most leagues do this. Um, you get half a point for a sack and, you know, a ton of points for fumbles and recoveries. In my league, it's three if they force a fumble and recover it, uh, three whole points. So um, based on that, you know, defensively, I, I really like the teams that have those just premier defensive lines because I think even if they allow a bunch of yards, they're going to cover the difference in sacks because if there's a lot of yards coming along, that usually implies that the team is passing a lot, which gives a lot of opportunities for those sacks, you know, strip sacks, fumbles 
Um, so like 49ers, Eagles, Cowboys, the Bills, the Jets. Those are all great candidates for some de defenses that will be really consistent throughout the year. And in most leagues, you're not going to be drafting a quarterback anytime soon, right? Like yep. the first I mean, defense, I mean, um, anytime soon, you really don't see them start coming off the board until round 10, 11, sometimes even later. So at that point in time, you know, you're drafting guys like Kendra Miller or whatever his name is, if, that, if that's how you say it, um, like third string yep. running backs, you know, that A-chain, third string running backs that might, you know, come into the season late if some injuries prevail. So, you know, if you want to go ahead and draft one of those elite defensive line defenses, like go for it. I think that's a pretty good strategy. Um, I've seen every year there's probably like two or three players in the league that are just starting the same defense every single week and getting a nice little average points. And it's usually the ones with the good de defensive line. Um, beyond that, you know, pick up who you can. I agree with, with Whitley. You want to find a defense that has a nice three-game stretch where they're kind of playing bad offenses because uh, that'll kind of guarantee you a safety net on the on the points there. And then you can just stream it. Um, streaming defenses is one of the most popular and, and easy things to do. You pretty much just pay the defense that's playing a bad offense uh, that's available on the waiver wire. And a, a few years, I didn't have as good of luck last year, but two years ago, I streamed a defense every single week and just kept cycling through them. And I added up all the points that I scored on defense that year, and it was more points than the Patriots, who were the number one defense. Um, so I basically had the number one defense in the league just yeah. by streaming it. So it's kind of hard. It was difficult. I just got lucky a lot and picked the, the defense that happened to score like 20. Uh, that, yeah, I that, some touchdowns. Yeah, I got some touchdowns. So it was a lot of luck. You can't, you can't repeat that, obviously, because I didn't do it last year. I think I was probably equivalent to like the third or fourth best defense. But, um, yeah, it's not like you're going to lose games by streaming defenses. So if you miss out on one of those those good ones because you wanted to take that sleeper pick, you know, it's not going to hurt you that bad. True, true. So our next topic is snake draft first, auction draft. Um, I don't think we have to say one's better or worse. I, a lot of people probably play in an auction and a snake every year. Um, I know we both do. Um, but we can just kind of cover the main differences and things that stick out. I will say I'll start with the auction draft. It's easier for me to come up with things I like about the auction draft. The thing I do like is just every player is available to you without it being a mega reach. So that's that's the main reason I do like auction is that, um, like I said, you can get three top ten guys if you really wanted. Um, you wouldn't have much left over for your team, but you could if you wanted. Um, and you did bring up a good point the other day when we were discussing auction, just saying that you can also get, you know, somebody in there that just goes crazy on a player and makes them actually unavailable to you unless you wanted to way overspend on them. So, um, in theory, you would think auction is kind of more of a pure market for these players, but you just never know who you're drafting with and, their biases, you know, towards certain players. And with Snake, I do enjoy Snake. Um, I like in your league that you release our draft positions early so we can just kind of do mock drafts and practice our spots and kind of see how players are falling and how the ADP is shifting. 
leading up to the drafts. But um, what do you think as far as snake versus auction? Yeah, man, that's a great debate. Um, and it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough choice because I like them both, you know, so much. And they both have their pros and they both have their, their cons. Um, in, in theory, I think that the auction draft is better. If you had 12 gentlemen who were all very educated on how to approach a, an auction draft, um, then in, in that scenario is the best. My grievance with the auction draft is that if you don't have 12 people that know, you know what to do and how to manage it and whatnot, it can like really, really screw things up. And yeah. you know, w- one point that William makes all the time um, that I agree with him on to a certain extent is he likes the freedom to go get the guys. Like if he has a guy, he can go get that guy. Um, but like he just mentioned, the point that I kind of brought up was like, you know, hey, in a snake draft, hypothetically, if somebody takes a guy that you wanted early before you, that was kind of his guy too, right? Um, you know, yep. he had the same interest in him. So hypothetically, in an auction draft, that same guy is probably going to, you know, drive a, a high bid on you. And if the price gets too steep, then you're, you might lose out on, on your guy and end up with a team full of not your guys. Yep. And then e- even if you lose out, it creates an indirect hazard that you won't find in a snake draft. Because if you and him dr- drove the bid really high and, and even one of you overspent, that creates less wealth to spread. And then that's going to trickle down and there's going to be guys who are going to be getting uh, guys way lower than they should go. Every time a player is overspent on just on the ecosystem, that means there's going to be mm-hmm. players that will be underspent on. And, you know, you might inadvertently create a super team <laughs> elsewhere of a guy who's stacking up on, you know, yeah. fourth round picks for, for $12, $13. And I've seen that happen, you know, in my alt league, it was you know, pretty much everybody's first time doing an auction draft. And at one point in time, we had Jalen Waddle <laughs> going for a dollar, you know, yeah. David Montgomery, um, just really, really good players that were going in the fourth round in snake drafts going for a dollar because everybody just paid so much money for the top players. Um, so, you know, with that being said, the auction, like I said, it is my, it is better. It is my favorite, um, but only when everybody's kind of on the same page and understands what to do. Uh, Post has been doing an auction for a long time and, and that goes great. Everybody goes for roughly what they should. Um, it's competitive, but you know, nobody just goes out there and blows their load um, early and it's really fun. So, you know, the advantage of the snake is that is more user friendly and is going to go a certain way and you can't really mess it up to the point where you're inadvertently creating super teams. Yeah, I think you're right. Like if you have an auction theoretically with a bunch of guys that are not going to let anybody go for super cheap, but they're not, they're also not going to overspend on any one guy smoothly and not create those super teams. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so on a snake draft, um, do you think draft position matters? So like this year, I mean, if you're one of the first three picks or if you're right in the middle rounds and let's say a 12 man, a 12 man leagues, you know, um, Mm -hmm. first picks, maybe middle round picks or late round kind of where you are. Do you think that really matters? I know there's stats out there um traditionally for years like if you have the number one pick you have you know it's like a percentage or two better than all the other picks but there is a there's data pointing to the 
the number one over pick overall has a better chance statistically. But what do you think as far as year after year, maybe this year in particular, is it better to be at the beginning of the draft, end of the draft, middle? What's what's your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the the answer kind of sheds some light on that statistic that you shared of the number one pick having the best probability. You know, the reason for that is because usually speaking, there's like one just OP God tier yep. player. <laughs> yep. And and usually that player is gonna be pretty obvious. Not always, but you know, it's it's kind of easy to predict that like, okay, you knew for a couple of years in a row that Christian McCaffrey is gonna put up, you know, God tier numbers. Yeah. And he won like, he literally won everybody in the league. Like it had the year that he averaged thirty one points per game, that year the percentage of guys who won with McCaffrey and their team was insane. It was higher than any other year had been before. Um, so last year, we didn't see that. We didn't see one overpowered player that just carried you to a championship. It was really a year for, for team builds and having, you know, just the best, most balanced roster um, there. So last year, that's why the number one seed didn't, didn't win it. And you might've been better off being in the middle where you get some consistent talent. Um, but in terms of draft position and does it matter, you know, it does. Every year it does, but there's no consistent answer to which ones are the best. So the formula, what you got to do is you make your tier rankings, right? And you have all your different tiers and everybody's going to be slightly different, but for the most part, they're all within a, a reasonable average, right? Yep. And then you take that tier list and you overlap it with the draft. And there's going to be a couple of draft positions that just have multiple picks in a higher tier that other teams don't have. Yep. And that, and, and there's not gonna be many of them, but those that kind of fall into that category and every year, because the tiers are different and there's, you know, less players in each tier one year, not the other. Um, like I said, it's never the exact same, but there's definitely tier drop-offs. And like, you know, for example, me and Whitley have been talking and we think there's a tier drop off kind of in the second round, you know, coming in, in the mid of it, in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're the number, you know, seven, eight, nine pick this year, you're kind of getting an early first round pick ahead of those last anchor guys, you know, 10, 11, 12. So you're getting some top tier talent. Then you're also getting the last players on that still tier two yep. before that dip, you know, midway through the second. And those guys who have the first, second, and third pick, their second pick isn't going to be anywhere near, in theory, you know, as good as yep. the other player's second round pick. So, you know, it definitely, it definitely depends each year. But this year specifically, I really like that middle of the round. You know, six through nine, I think, is the gravy zone this year. Yeah, I like that, and I think it's easier to draft from the middle, just because you you make your pick, and there's usually you know ten or twelve picks before it gets back to you. So you're not having to predict picks before you make another one. Um, and so I think that's a little bit easier to predict um, what might be there when it comes back and kind of build your roster positionally. Because, like, you're in a tough spot. I mean, when it gets to you as the last pick in the first round, you'd make that choice. You also get a pick right after that for the first pick in the second round. So you've got your two players, but then you're just wondering, okay, it's like 23 picks from now till you get to make another pick in the third round. So you have to watch <laughs> yeah. it go all the way down and all the way back on the draft board. 
and you just don't know what to expect, what will be there, you know, as far as looking at your tiers, like you mentioned, will any of my guys in this tier that I hope will be there actually be there? And can yeah. I, you know, if I go to running backs, you know, are there going to be two receivers setting there for me? Or am I going right. to feel like, oh man, the best value is another running back and I already took two of them. So I think that makes it hard when you're at the bookend, um, of either end of the draft order. Um, and if you're in the middle, it's easier because there's less picks between your picks. So put simply, yeah. I, I think that's probably the easiest to draft from, but it's kind of, there's what we think is going to happen this year and looking at it pre-draft in our tiers and then what's actually going to happen. We might look back and be like, well, those people in the front of the draft, man, like that, yeah. they, they killed it, you know? So who knows? But um, I would agree with you. I think like the middle, the middle picks are, um, are set up pretty good as far as how it looks right now. Right. Right. And just a, a disclaimer for the audience. Um, we cannot predict the future. So, yeah. <laughs> so anything, any strategy that we're talking about in tiers, of course, you know, that's it's never going to be in line with the reality. Um, like Willie said, the reality is that a lot of these guys aren't going to work out. And you look back and what you thought may have been a bad draft and you're, you're off the cliff of the, of the, the tier drop, you're going to be fine. You know, you get some good players that end up being possibly the best pick in that round. So it's all perceived, but since that's all we have to go off of, we don't have any real future data. Um, you know, that's just what it is for now. Yes, exactly. Um, so what do you think? There's kind of two ideas and philosophies of drafting out there and your prep going into the draft. One is you need to have a pre-draft plan. You need to have it planned out in your snake draft or your auction draft and know these are my guys at these spots. This is how I'm going to fill these holes in my roster. And let's say, for instance, snake draft, I'm going to go running back, then wide receiver. And then by round five, I need to have two running backs and three receivers. Then I'll go work on quarterback tight end or, or whatever it may be um, and have kind of a, a pretty rigid structure of a pre-draft plan. Or do you just say, okay, I kind of know what I think about all these players. I'm just going to go value. I'm just going to be very fluid and whatever comes to me, I'll just kind of on the fly draft, draft, draft these players and hope I like it. Um, what do you think as far as those two philosophies? Do you lean one way or the other? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mixture of both. Um, I think pre-planning your draft is definitely more important than in draft because when you're trying to plan in draft, there's a lot more panic involved, right? And yes. when you're on the clock, man, that 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 minute, that thing shrinks away fast. And if you're not sure exactly who you want and you're scrolling down the list and flipping the tabs between running back and receiver, <laughs> yeah. trying to make up your mind, man, that minute is gone in a flash. So you don't want to get into a situation where you're uncertain and feel like you need time to think about it because then the panic sets in and then you kind of just make a – make a pig i've been in drafts before that i didn't prepare for and you know I, I want one guy but i'll scroll so far down making sure i didn't want anybody else i don't make it back to him in time to, to draft them <laughs> and then i yeah. get uh, auto pick my second qb uh, of the draft or something like that so um yeah definitely prepare that that's the what i would put more stock in it's just having a pre-draft plan and like whitley said you know one big tip to kind of keep your nerves calm and stay level-headed during a draft is don't get caught up looking at available players. I know sometimes, you know, I've had the same habit 
is I'm looking at all the available players and like, okay, I'm 20 picks out. Let me look in this range. And I kind of lose track of the board. It's important to focus on the board during the draft and pay attention to which team is getting each position and, and how many times, because that's a good indicator of what position they're going to take in the next round. And so you can kind of help better game plan of what might be available there for you. And because I'm at pick 12 this year with pick 12 and 13, I'm having to do a lot of that uh, because I have 20 picks, 24 picks in between, you know, each pick at the end of the rounds because I'm back to back. And if I'm at the first round and there's Saquon, Barkley, Nick Chubb, CeeDee Lamb, and A.J. Brown there, I'm going to be inclined to take A.J. Brown and CeeDee Lamb and go ahead and get that receiver firepower. But I have to realize that if Saquon and Nick Chubb are there, that means that everybody in the first round took a receiver. And so there's going to be a lot of running backs taken in the second and third before my, my next pick. And so if I go receiver, receiver, I could really get screwed. So I got to be conscious of that, you know, take the safe play, get a running back, and make sure that I can keep my team well balanced and not end up rolling to the year. Yeah. <laughs> with, with the two, the two you said, the, the two you said earlier, you said Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. And, Isaiah uh, Pacheco, my RB one baby. <laughs> and Antonio Gibson, your and Antonio yeah. Gibson, your RB two. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I definitely want to avoid that situation. So yeah, just be smart. Pay attention to the draft board. Pay attention to who has what and the the probability of what position they're taking in the next round. And if you do that with everybody, you can start to get a picture of who is going to be there at your pick and start uh, pre-planning that. Uh, but obviously, I'm a big proponent of, of leaning towards the best player available. And if, if I strongly feel like this receiver is going to be way better than the best running back, but I don't need a running back, I might go ahead and take that risk and take the receiver and maybe just try to use him as trade bait, you know, trade bait later on to get a better running back than I think I could have got there. Cause there's always going to be teams that are imbalanced and it's a win-win for each side to, to trade a receiver for a running back. Yeah, I agree. And one thing I think you and I both do is let's, I'll take a snapshot of this is how the first three rounds might play out for me at pick number three. You know, maybe I end up with um, Cooper cup, Devonte Smith, Josh Jacobs, or, Maybe I end up with Christian McCaffrey, um, another running back, and then a receiver. And I'll just kind of and write them down and just say, okay, out of these different scenarios playing out, which three players do I like the best? And that'll kind of help guide me a little bit. And it also kind of prepares just unexpected things that will happen in the draft of if I think, oh, there's no way that these receivers aren't sitting here waiting for me in round two, and then when they aren't sitting there waiting for me in round two, I'm less likely to tilt because I've kind of gone over some of these scenarios and just be like, okay, I know I can go RB value here since my receivers aren't there that I was expecting, and then in rounds three or four, I know who to target and move on down the line. So um, I think you know just having scenarios – will definitely help you kind of round out your team. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Um, we got some questions from our league mates and, and I appreciate them listening. It's an extra pep in our step and makes us want to want to do the podcast. And, um, you know, you and I are passionate about fantasy football. We've talked about doing this podcast for a long time, but um, we wanted to do it for our league mates this year, especially 
and they have asked us some questions today. Um, Kay Wood started with a really good one. Which rookie wide receiver will have the best season this year and why? Um, I'll start out and I'll talk about this one today. I've, I've looked over the rookie receivers and I think Jordan Addison is my pick for this. Um, a couple reasons. I think he has, Ooh. of all the rookies, probably the best path to targets. Number one, I mean, the Vikings are going to throw the ball a ton. I think they were number three last year as far as just neutral situations, going with passing, overrunning. Um, O'Connell loves to pass the ball around. We know Kirk can, um, can sling it. Um, he should be the clear number two as far as wide receiver go. K.J. Osborne had a good year last year, but I don't think it's going to be very long before Jordan Addison clearly takes number two receiver. Um, Thielen has left the team. He had a 17% target share, um, vacating 107 targets there. Um, now, we know J.J.'s a monster, and so Jefferson might get some of those, deservedly so. Um, Hawkinson is there. I think that's kind of the big question, which could solidify Addison as the big rookie receiver this year, is can he pass up Hawkinson on the pecking order? And if that's the case, then I think with the best rookie wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely like that take. Uh, Jordan Addison is a very exciting rookie. And one thing that I love about him is that he has a proven quarterback in Kirk Cousins. Um, Kirk Cousins is one of the best quarterbacks in the in the NFL. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even, yeah, even though some you people would disagree. Plant. Yeah, even though some people would disagree with that. I mean, man, that guy just has just awesome stats, man. Just stats that are up there with some of the the best quarterbacks that are in the Hall of Fame. Um, so that makes me really excited about him. You know, obviously I know uh, Dotson isn't a rookie. But, you know, he's a perfect example of he was in this category last year. And the reason why he didn't end up being the best, you know, rookie receiver is because he was just on an offense that didn't really have a great quarterback. Um, so that yep. could, you know, that's one thing I'm excited about with Addison. He's not in that situation. And he has Justin Jefferson on his team. And that dude is going to, uh, they have to double team him this year. And one thing that yeah. I was thinking about with, with Justin Jefferson is you can't, you can't stop him. You really can't, but it was astounding how many times last year they just had somebody one-on-one -on -one with him, somebody that they knew that they a hundred percent without a doubt knew could not guard him. And like one phenomenon, phenomenon in the NFL that always baffles me is it really takes teams an entire off season to like figure out, like figure dudes out and like yeah. figure out these blatant, obvious mistakes you see it all the time where, you know, a player flares for a year and then he's not good the next year. And it's usually like a, a running QB. You're like, oh, yeah, well, they got it. Everything's got to figure it out now. Like, why couldn't you figure him out <laughs> during the regular season? Yeah. Um, you know, so. That's true. It, yeah. So it, it, I expect more double teams for Jefferson this year. And I think that he has a very, very good chance of, you know, being a good fantasy producer. Um, with that being said, uh, I'm going to take a different route just to give a different perspective here, give a different opinion. I'm going to go with Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. I like and it. And, you know, a lot of people are, are getting scared off of him because they're like, oh, well, it's Geno Smith, and they have DK Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett. And that's just 
how can Geno Smith support three elite receivers? Well, you know, we said the same thing about an old Tom Brady with Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans. And if you had any of those guys in your team that year, you were pretty happy about it. Yep. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Spires actually won a championship because they just drafted the entire Buccaneers team yep. <laughs> <laughs> that year. So um, three people can definitely eat and spin it into this perspective. Geno Smith was a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins fantasy statistics wise last year. Yep. And he was he was literally the top five quarterback. So to think that he's not in the same boat as other quarterbacks this year, you know, you're going with your gut instinct. You're not going off statistics. So if he does come back and have the same year, uh, it could be the same thing as what we saw at the Buccaneers. And then the other X factor is kind of what you mentioned, TJ Hawkinson. That, that's the X factor here. If they treat TJ Hawkinson like a receiver, Seattle doesn't have a receiver, They're a, a tight end. Their tight yep. ends aren't going to be getting targets. So if you break it down that way, there's still a good chance that that Addison could be in the exact same boat as in Jigba and be yep. getting the third most targets on the team. And by the way, in my opinion, Jackson Smith and Jigba is a lot better than Jordan Addison. He literally played on the same team as Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and he did better than them. He, they, he had better stats than yeah. both of them. The, the season that they all three play together. So in in that regard, I'm going to get, I'm going to let the talent kind of be the tipping point on the scale. And I'm going to go with uh, JSN, baby. Yeah, I love that pick. And and not just saying it, but that was going to be my, my other pick. And like you said, just because of the talent alone. And I know there'll be people saying, oh, Tyler Lockett and DK Smith, there's not enough to go around. But, yeah, he's by far the most talented, and that cream usually rises to the top. So I think that's an excellent pick. Um, So next question, Colin asked, best and worst fantasy pick you've ever made? I can go ahead and tell you my best pick was in round four of a snake draft. I believe it was either 2017 or 2018 for Kareem Hunt, his rookie year with the Chiefs. And I had taken Antonio Brown with my round one pick. I took Todd Gurley with my round two pick. And then I got Kareem Hunt with my fourth round pick. And this was before people were really on to rookie running backs. And I just listened to a bunch of info. I was like, wow, this this dude's going to be featured in Andy Reid offense. And I kind of thought, well, think about all the past running backs in the Chiefs offense that have been so good and you could kind of just go down the line and they were just fed the ball um and so I was like you know this guy's a plug and play I hope he's gonna work out I watched the first game prime time the Chiefs are playing I don't forget I forget who it was but they were playing prime time first game of the season first carry of the game they hand it to Kareem Hunt and he fumbles the ball man he fumbles the ball other team picks it up i'm like all right it's over like i just wasted that fourth round pick my uh, my rookie he's in the doghouse now like andy reed's gonna bench this guy and you know i was like at the lowest of lows man and then next <laughs> drive andy reed puts him back in there and feeds him the ball and kareem hunt pops off for like 30 something fantasy points week one and I mean, and I just rode that high, and that was kind of just how the year went for me with that team in that year and went on to win a fantasy championship. So I'll never forget that pick. I'll never forget that first night. 
from his fumble to just rebounding and the rest of the game balling out for 30 fantasy points. Um, and then to go to my worst pick, it would definitely be Allen Robinson in the fourth round of <laughs> two years ago. And it was one of those where I wasn't even high on Allen Robinson for a pre-draft, like doing all my research. I never did I, and I talked to you a lot about this. And so you can, you can vouch for me. I was never like, Oh, I want to take Allen Robinson, even though most people were like, Oh, he's, he should be consensus <laughs> number eight or nine receiver off the board. And <laughs> so he's sitting there. I'm like, well, dad, I guess I got to take Allen Robinson. Cause I mean, he's usually that make it past round three in mock drafts. And what I had told you too, the other, this is the most painful side of it <clears throat> is I was like, dude, Cooper cup this year is going to ball out. And I didn't think he was going to ball out, like, win the Triple Crown. So I'm not going to lie and say that. But he was, like, my receiver. And and there's proof of that, too, because I went out and got him in my auction league that year. And I had mocked getting him in the fourth round, like, over and over and over. But I was like, oh, man, the ADP consensus, Allen Robinson, he's just locked and loaded top ten receiver. So I guess I'm going to take him. And I clicked Allen Robinson instead of Cooper <laughs> Cup. And, and then, and then two picks later, I picked Robert Woods over Cooper Cup against my gut instinct too. So yes, me and you yes. are in that so boat right of misery together. Me. Man, the pain. But anyways, yeah. um, so make me feel better and tell me about your best pick ever, Zane. So <laughs> I guess the one shining light there is at least Robert Woods was the number 12 receiver in, uh, in the NFL when he tore his ACL. So at true, least true. I didn't step fully on a grenade. And yeah, man, just just laughing about it, man. It's all in hindsight now, and it's all water under the bridge. But that same draft you did that with Allen Robinson, you also took Antonio Gibson over Eckler, uh, <laughs> even though even though I begged you all summer not to. And yeah. You did, anyway, you know you were you're captain in your own ship, man, and yeah, and you were sticking to your right. gun. So I respect that. But um, yeah, that was a fun one. But yeah, my best and worst one. So the best one. I'm going to kind of broaden it a little bit because it ended up just being my best year just in terms of hitting on, you know, just a bunch of league winning players. Um, But I had the unfortunate of with the number two overall pick uh, drafting David Johnson. And he literally broke his wrist in the first Mm. quarter of the, of the first game um, that year and never stepped on the, on the field again for the (laughs) remainder of the year. So usually uh, that is a death sentence right there. Um, yeah. that, that's that's a wrap. It's over. Uh, but then I pretty much just absolutely nailed the the rest of the draft. Um, I can't remember who I got in the second round. It was a high-profile receiver. That was my number one receiver all year long. And then I got Todd Gurley in the third round, the year that he just absolutely <laughs> had that Christian McCaffrey season and just carried 70% of fantasy teams to, to championships. And then uh, to make so that was my best pick, uh, Todd Gurley yep. in the third in the third round, the year that he finished number one overall by by a landslide. Um, that was definitely the the shining moment. I got that that league winning player with a third round pick, and then I went on and I followed up with a couple money picks with you know Kenyon Drake, uh, the year that he had a breakout season for the Dolphins. I got Robert Woods the year that he had that uh, semi-breakout season with the Bills. And those were like two really, really late-round picks, uh, which definitely helped me out. And then I'm going to give my boy Whitley some credit here. Um, that year, for whatever unknown reason, he did not participate in, in my league. And he called me one day, and he was like, hey, like I know this is going to sound crazy, but go pick up 
this guy named Alvin Kamara off the waiver wire. He's a third string running back for the Saints, but he's like absolutely balling out in preseason and you know he's gonna move up the depth chart fast. So Whitley gave me that insight. I did it. I went to the waiver wire. I was even hesitant about it. I was like, man, a third string running back, he's behind Adrian Peterson and Mark Ingram. Like, no way. But I picked him up to see what happened. And boy, oh boy, he, he had a bye week the next week. And then after that, my man was ripping off 30 points per game. Yeah, <laughs> he, was, he, exploded. He, he exploded and finished RB3 on the season, um, even not even really getting the starting role until week four. And so, yeah, my team just became an absolute Thanos team. I got Carson, I got Carson Wentz that year. Really, really, he he did tear his ACL that year, but I got him like eighth round, and he had an MVP year through twelve weeks and pretty yep. much carried me to the one seed. I think I only lost one game. I think I was like literally like thirteen and one that year, and uh, and I didn't even come close to losing in the in the playoffs i think me and Man. brett played in the championship that year and i think i beat him by 100 points so i was uh, pretty much untouchable and then my my worst pick and everybody in the league remembers this i i did the fatal mistake of buying into the the hype about this rookie running back that we don't know anything about sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't unfortunately with the number nine pick in the draft i picked clyde edwards hilaire his oh. rookie year. Oh. So <laughs> so that blew up my face very, very badly. Um, that was by far the worst pick, especially because like Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs and just <laughs> all these receivers that were just exploding um, went after him. And then I turned around and followed up on the turn at 13 with, with Kenyon Drake uh, when he was getting mm-hmm. a lot of hype for the Cardinals. Um, that blew up my face even worse. Because Chase Evans ended up being the starter for the second half of the season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then in the in the sixth round that year, uh, Packett picked Keenan Allen one pick ahead of me, and I got T. Uh, T. Y. Hilton. And Keenan oh, Allen man. ended up being a top five receiver, and T. T. Y. Hilton ended up being a top one hundred <laughs> receiver. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I was in I was in last place that year. Um, wasn't fun. That was definitely my worst pick and my worst draft. Yeah, the joys and the pains of fantasy football. I mean, when you have those just insane championship seasons, you just chase that high year after year, every every year after. And then when you have those those low, just dark seasons, you just always beginning of every year think, oh my gosh, please, can I just have a little bit more luck than than what I just suffered through? You know what I mean? <laughs> It's, yeah, uh, yeah, the pain and the joy is definitely real, um, but that's what makes it so much fun. So, Poston asked, "Can we trust Deshaun Watson and the Browns?" What would you think, Zane? Yeah, so going back to my earlier statement with DTR as the backup, um, I'm I'm excited. I'm more excited about the Browns player uh, for that very reason. And can we trust Deshaun Watson? I have no idea. He looked so bad last year that there has to be some hesitancy there. Um, but I wouldn't be scared of, you know, the rest of the players. You know, if, for example, he does have a bad season, they have a great offensive line. That's not changing. So Nick Chubb's going to run. And if he's Deshaun Watson is bad, that's even more for Nick Chubb. <laughs> that's even more upside yep. uh, for Nick Chubb there. And, you know, how bad can Deshaun Watson be? We saw Amari Cooper be a, a, a top 10 receiver last year 
with what everybody deemed to be the wide receiver fantasy killer in mm-hmm. Jacoby Brissett. So, Brisket. Yeah, Jacoby Brisket. So, because uh, he is cooked, my friend. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> other than that, I am, you know, not that hesitant. I'm not going to yep. draft these guys super high uh, other than Nate Chubb. But at the same time, I'm not going to be like that scared off of them. So I think their ADP is pretty appropriate. And I think we can trust those ADPs. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm not so sure and going to trust Deshaun Watson, but I do trust the Browns. And I I think Chubb, I'm right there on consensus with Chubb, with Amari Cooper, with Elijah Moore, with David Njoku. So, yeah, I'm not scared off of any of those pieces. Um, the second part of his question is, is Green Bay good? And I think he's probably alluding to, hey, they're getting some hype of like, hey, Aaron Rodgers is out of here. Jordan Love, maybe he's okay. Maybe maybe they're still going to be fantasy worthy. What do you think on the Green Bay Green Bay offense? Yeah, I mean they were one of my picks last episode for you know what could be a surprise bad team, right? Yep. And I I believe that, but that's also a fifty fifty chance. And to shed some light on the other side, should it play out in the reverse scenario? and Jordan Love is competent, and he is good. You know, everybody said the same thing about Aaron Rodgers. Like, well, he's not Brett Favre. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? He ended up being Brett Favre. <laughs> so so yeah. he ended up being literally a clone. <laughs> so you never know. I mean, of course, it would be rare for that to happen twice in a row with one team. I mean, basically the one in a million chance. But if, if he's even half of what those guys were, then I think this offense can still hum. You know, there's Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. They got a decent, a decent, you know, line. Not the, one of the best lines, but kind of like mid-tier. And I think they're still going to be able to move the ball. And Christian Watson is a great explosive player. And uh, yeah, if Jordan Love is even, you know, comes in and can even manage like a 63% completion rate and even throw for like 3,000 yards. You know, that's not going to be super spread out. So I think those top guys on the team can still produce a lot of fantasy value. Yeah, I agree. I think. Rodgers leaving Green Bay and going to New York will not give New York the big bump that everyone thinks it will, and it won't tank Green Bay's value the way everyone thinks it will. I think it'll be closer to just uh, a lateral move for both teams. Yeah, for sure. And keep in mind, like with that, like don't forget Aaron Rodgers did not have like an MVP season last year. Exactly. You know, he, he, for the most part, I mean, it was still good, a good season compared to, to most quarterbacks, but at the same time, it wasn't one of those MVP seasons. And so looking at, you know, Jordan Love, uh, Rodgers threw like what, 26 touchdowns, like 3,500 yards. It's not unreasonable to think that Jordan Love can come close to that. You know, maybe 22 passing touchdowns with 3,200 yards. That's about mm-hmm. what I would pro- project for him. And that's not that much less um, than what Rodgers did last year. And if everybody was really attracted to Christian Watson, I don't see why that would change. Yeah, Luke Musgraves, the rookie tight end there, um, you know, I think he deserves some consideration. And he he was probably going to be somebody we're talking about midseason because he seems to have the full-time role of the tight end locked up there in Green Bay. Um, And Romeo Dobbs, I mean, has a big connection with Jordan Love, like Christian Watson as well. So everyone perceives Watson to be the man. I think he will be. Um, But, you know, Dobbs could kind of surprise us and and get quite a bit of targets as well. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, to answer the question even in just real football terms, I wouldn't be surprised if they're about a 7-10 and 10 team with some startable fantasy players. Exactly. Um, so Brett asked, what is the best mid-round steal <clears throat> in the draft? I'll let you start with this one, Zane. Ooh, that's a tough one. So now he- here we are at the crossroad where we are now sharing our sleeper pick <laughs> with the guys that we are competing against. Yeah. Um, so, so this one hurts, but in the spirit of <laughs> the, yeah. the the podcast, I'll, I'll definitely throw some insight out there. Yeah, um, and so let me one... say this too. So they might be thinking, is he throwing a smoke screen for us? Or is he actually giving us his best mid-round prospect? So that's up for them to decide. Yeah, well, here's the beauty of it. I'm going to give it to him because the beauty is that nobody knows, right? Exactly. If we knew knew who the the, the mid-round sleeper was every year, then he wouldn't be a mid-round sleeper. He would be going higher in the draft. Um, So that's the proof of the pudding. And if we did know somehow and we're patient to wait for them, we'd be winning championships every single year. Yep. And uh, and this is going to be not... hilarious if someone takes him in the third round, whoever you're about <laughs> yeah. to mention. So, yeah, let's let's do this. Yeah, for sure. So one like super mid round, you know, assuming there's 13 rounds, we're talking about maybe, you know, a seventh or eighth round pick here. I'm going to throw two names out there on the same team. I'm super interested in the absolute ADP value of the Buccaneers receivers. Because I know, dude, I swear I have them on my notes. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, and maybe it's obvious. How about you, um, you talk about Evans? I'll talk about Godwin. Yeah, so Mike Evans is basically free in this draft, and there are guys like Jahan Dodson, you know, going over him, and it kind of like it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. And sometimes I see Jahan Dodson go a whole round ahead of Mike Evans. And I'm a guy who's always going to, like, I, it has to be real. Like, there's people who get caught up in the upside and the potential and this and that. And you've heard Mike Evans' name for so long that it just gets stale. You get tired of it, so you kind of put him on the back burner. Well, do you know why you've heard Mike Evans' name for so long? <laughs> because this man's never not recorded a 1,000-yard season, ever. Yep. Even when Jameis Winston turned the ball over 30 times, dude, he ended 30 drives in an NFL season. <laughs> and Mike yep. Evans... Still got a thousand yards and was a, the number. I think he was the number one fantasy player that year, a uh, receiver. So in terms of that, like everybody's expecting Baker Mayfield to be so bad. But the reason I kind of compare him to Jahan Dodson is to me, like, are, do we really think that Sam Howell is going to be that much better than Baker Mayfield? To me, they almost look like the same player uh, in terms of build and arm strength and things like that. Um, and the Buccaneers were pretty gung-ho, like, yeah, Baker Mayfield is our starter. He's better than Kyle Trask. So it kind of excites me uh, because Baker Mayfield, for the most part, he, he's not, you know, Jacoby Brisket where yep. he's just killing our receivers. It, it has a history of not killing them. And if we're just focusing on the small sample size of the Panthers, you know, the four games he played for the Panthers, like, sure, be scared. But to me, I'm not going to take just a four-game sample size. I'm going to take the big picture. And – He's never had a receiving core like this. And with that receiving core, and if he can just put it together, they're going to be just fine. And I think that Mike Evans is going to be a big steal in that eighth or ninth round. Because it's not going to surprise me when he goes out and gets a thousand yards again. 
Exactly. And I think Godwin's going a little higher than Evans. So you have to pay up a little bit more for him, probably fifth round. But Godwin, again, he was coming off an ACL surgery last year and he had a thousand yards. So that kind of tells me everything I need to know is that this year he will be better from as far as just explosiveness, getting open, things like that. So if the offense and the quarterback can halfway support him, I think he'll do just as good, if not better than last year. And that's just my my case in point deal there with Chris Godwin. Because yeah. usually year after ACL, players are a shell of themselves. And like I said, he had a thousand year a thousand yards receiving last year. So yeah. Definitely not afraid of Chris Godwin in the middle rounds. Um no. so let's go. So we have a couple questions left and then we can finish this up. Um, what makes Hawkinson such a beast? <laughs> That's a great inside joke. Um, so the, the background on this joke. So me and Whitley have been talking and we have a theory that the league has essentially blackballed him from trades because the only trade offers he gets are like extremely lopsided, um, except for a few that he has put through. But we think the reason is, is because a couple years ago, uh, Willie had a stack team, like got James Robinson off the waiver wire, and he ended up being like a top three back, um, had all types. He ended up getting like Tyler Lockett and, Ty- and uh, who was your other receiver? Chris Godwin. Uh, yeah, Tyler Lockett and Chris Godwin, the years they both finished top five receivers, and he got them late. And then he made a power move. And in the second week of the season, Tyreek Hill broke his like rib or something, or like clavicle. It was like a four week injury. And our buddy Chris Kaywood in our league um, decided to trade Tyreek Hill to him for Michael Gallup and TJ Hawkinson, who (laughs) TJ Hawkinson was a rookie and had not even. He did have one good game. He did have one good game. Okay, so he had one good game. Hawkinson had a blow up game. Yeah, so probably, and then Tyreek Hill came back after four weeks and scorched earth the rest of the year and finished as the number three receiver. Um, TJ Hawkinson never scored more than five points again the remainder of the year, and Michael Gallup probably didn't score more than five points many times <laughs> either. So um, it kind of yeah. went down, and it kind of went down to league history as, as one of the most lopsided trades um, ever. Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't. I knew it, I knew I was going to probably come out better on that, but I didn't think it was going to be that lopsided because part of me is like, okay, Tyreek Hill. I mean, there was legit fear that this guy might not play much the rest of the year. I mean, we have to kind of put it in that context. So, yeah, but I didn't so, think he was going to come back and look like he had never been hurt before <laughs> and just could go erupt yeah. the rest of the year. But erupt, I kind of like have to regret it that it turned out that lopsided because, one, I didn't win the championship that year. Zan beat me. And then now I have nothing to show for it, and I'm blacklisted from trading. So, um, yeah, you know, was it worth it? No, I guess not. Bro, and and just for the record, man, you pulled up into the championship, and you were Goliath. You were this big, burly team just full of top five players. You had a top five player. I think you had Lamar Jackson. Dalvin <laughs> Cook. Dalvin Cook, Robinson. James Robinson, Hill, Lockett, Godwin. I mean, you were just – no way you're going to lose – and then little old David pulled up as a six seed and he took out his slingshot and he put Christian McCaffrey into it, bro. Right he, between my eyes. And he, and he hit you with C and C dude, right between your eyes, bro. Yeah. Uh, so so that's where the term, you know, Hawkins of the Beast come, comes from. It was basically a troll the rest of the season, um, over the trade, and we would just randomly be like, Yeah, man, Hawkinson's a beast. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. Um, Packet had a question about kickers. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, Packet wanted to know uh, his question here: uh, Why don't African Americans have more representation uh, in the kicker field? Um, that is a that is a valid question, uh, Packet. Uh, obviously, something that you know you should be concerned about because you want to see more representation uh, in the NFL. But you know the the simple answer um, here is that you know white people in general just like doing little technical things. You know, golfing, bowling, ping pong, uh, ping pong. Yeah, cornhole. They they just like doing more technical things that don't require athleticism. Uh, I think African Americans are are more athletic and they like taking advantage of that and doing more things. And uh, they probably, you know, would in their circle don't have many of their friends, you know, saying one day like, hey, man, let's go kick field goals. You know, probably like, hey, man, let's go moss each other and yeah, run routes. Yeah, they aspire for probably bigger bigger and better things. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure. So that's, that's the easy answer to that. Yeah, I agree. And I've seen some punters out there. and um, But, yeah, I, I agree. That's a good question. I think people are curious about that. For and sure. we're not going to dodge questions. Um, so the last thing that we had on the docket is our Super Bowl predictions, and then we'll finish up this episode. Um, I'm going to start us off, Zane. I think the Super Bowl this year will come down to the Kansas City Chiefs are going to make it back again, but this time the 49ers are going to stay healthy enough with Brock, and they're going to go on and win the Super Bowl. Um, I would love to say the Cowboys, being a lifelong Cowboys fan, and I, you know, I think we'll be in the conversation, but not quite there. Um, I think the Eagles will stumble. The 49ers, top to bottom, are loaded. And I think Joey Bosa, um, Brock Purdy, getting into all the weapons, they'll get it done and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Wow. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's like we almost expect the Chiefs to make it back to the Super Bowl. Uh, But this year, I think that the Bills finally overcome the, the hump. You know, the expectation well, like is that is that it's going to be between the Bills, the the Bengals, and the Chiefs, and that's great because all those teams can beat each other. Uh, but I think it's just the Bills' turn. You know, I think they're all pretty equal teams, and the Bengals kind of made their run. Then the Chiefs. Now I think the Bills are up, and then from the NFC, I mean, I love the the 49ers pick um, for that, but it's hard for me to not pick a repeat from the Eagles uh, because mm-hmm. they went out and drafted every single Georgia player. And yeah. <laughs> that's a good formula to have, man. They just have Georgia defense and Alabama defensive players. It seems to always work out for teams for the most part. Um, so the fact that they had like their roster was insane. And the fact that Jalen Hurts was putting up the numbers he was with their receiving core uh, they went out this year and got DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny and have a stable of backs. They added so many Georgia defensive players. And personally, you know, everybody kind of said that Carter was the best player in the draft. They ended up getting him at nine. And then they got that freak of a defensive end uh, over at the end of the first round that I thought was for sure going to go top 15. Yep. So in my mind, they went and got two top 15 players, one that could have gone number one if he didn't street race. And, uh, yeah, I think they're going to be hard to beat again, uh, especially with the little game plays they run with Jalen Hurts. So I'm, I'm going to go uh, Bills, 
uh, in Eagles in the championship. And I'm going to say Josh Allen, man. I think Josh Let's Allen goes and gets it done. <laughs> time. And I think the Eagles suffer two back-to-back Super Bowl losses. The Stallion gets it done. I like it. And the Eagles will become like the 90s Bills. That makes yeah. them feel much better as a Cowboys fan. <laughs> yeah, bro. Exactly. Yeah. But that pretty much wraps up our episode. Um, Zane's about to head off to the beach for a week. I'm super jealous of that. Um, you'll be listening to this on Sunday. <clears throat> we did record this on Thursday, so some things might change around the NFL, but you will be listening to this as we release it on Sunday. And this is our last episode um, before our fantasy football draft. And then post-draft, we will release our flag plants, our breakout players, and um, analyze what happened in our fantasy draft. So it's only exciting things from here. And Zane, enjoy the beach, man. Absolutely. And our fantasy draft should be a little bit earlier than most people's who are waiting till in the week of. Um, so yeah, definitely tune in and get some exciting breakdowns of, of our guys, who are things going to break out, a draft review to see who got the most loaded teams. And we're going to keep it cruising through the season. I love it. Appreciate it, Zane. Yes, sir. Signing off.